0: Hello
1: and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to do a little 2022 year in review. As we're getting close to year-end here, it's kind of important to look back and see what we learned from 2022 If you'd like to talk about this past year or if you've got any question that you'd like to visit about agronomically speaking, we'd love to take your phone call 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphd Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so 2022, probably the Two things I'm going to remember most are, number one was wind, and number two, we had the biggest rain event in the history of the state of South Dakota. In a drought year. In an hour. (laughs) One hour, we got over five inches of rain. And so if you're listening and you go, well, five inch rain is nothing. Well, when you get it in an hour, that's a lot, especially when we're in an area that normally gets, for a whole year, 22 to 24 inches. And we got over 5 inches in an hour. So, the wind. There were these two, what they call derecho events. I just call them big winds. We had a lot of wind for a long time. It was very windy, both in the spring and in the summer. And, sure, it knocks some corn down and things like that. But more than that, it was a lot of erosion issues. So, whether it was from the big rain, it was from wind, I I, I guess... I think back to, and when that first big wind event happened, it looked like a wall of dust moving through. It literally looked like the pictures I have seen out of the 1930s, out of the Dust Bowl era. And I'm thinking, oh man, this isn't good. We got a drought year. Things are going to be tough. And then we ended up with average yield on our farm, even though we had half normal rainfall. Even 20 or 30 years ago, if you had half normal rainfall, to even dream about getting average yield there's no possible chance. The varieties weren't good enough. Plus, in a lot of cases, we weren't farming with good enough equipment, didn't know enough. I mean, as farmers, we're getting better, we're getting smarter every year. It's awesome. And so I I guess I, I just say I'm encouraged because even though it felt like Mother Nature was against us the whole way, we can still do okay. So probably one of the biggest things for me is just soil fertility. And we talk about it, I know, all the time. The reason why is because the better job we do with soil fertility, the less moisture our crop needs per bushel. That's a fact. The reason why it's so important is because if your crop starts to run short at any one time on any nutrient, your crop's going to start wasting water. It's going to start bringing water in it doesn't need because it's trying to get nutrients and the nutrients come in with the water. So that's why having not just ample amounts, but balanced amounts of fertility in your soil, it's so important. So we talk often about ratios, things like base saturation, things like phosphorus to, pota- or phosphorus to zinc, phosphorus to copper, magnesium to potassium, and all these different ratios and balance things that you can look at in your soil. And it makes an absolute difference. And boy, we really saw that on our farm this year, where we had that fertility balanced, where we had ample amounts. We just flat out had better yields. We had a couple fields this year on half normal rainfall that still went 260 bushel corn, dry land. I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. And to have the price that we did, I I was tickled. So Darren, what are the top one or two things that you're going to remember about 2022.
0: Well, I, I'm. I, I guess to to echo some of what you said there, I'm just impressed on our own farm about the crop that we had with, with the way the conditions were. But um, you know, this year there's been a lot of enthusiasm about some of the different things. Like we were talking a lot about looking at one-acre grids, looking at where fertility levels are at, and just talking to other farmers that have started doing the same thing. And their data is correlating with a lot of what we're doing, too. And, and I'm excited about that, that, uh, that gives you some good direction, gives gives me some good direction heading forward as to how we're going to manage things to, to try to improve things. And then I, I think about the year that we had this year with um, a couple of different problems, tar spot and corn rootworms and just some of the management practices and timings that farmers were using that had really good success against both of those problems. They are definitely uh, big yield robbers, and if you manage them well, they don't have to be on your farm. You can really do a good job on both of those potential issues. So I look for lots of questions leading up to this growing season from growers who are concerned about tar spot and and. Uh, Possibly could be the same farm concerned about corn rootworm too. Uh, But if you're concerned about one or the other or both of those, we definitely have some good answers and some solid data to show, hey, if you do things this way and you time it out right, you're going to be in good shape on those things. That gives me a lot of hope.
1: Weed control is another big thing. A lot of people have been talking about super weeds and weeds we can't kill anymore. And the weeds are really hurting our yield in almost any crop. I would tell you, we can kill the weeds. You just have to start with a good plan and actually follow through with the plan. Soybeans is a good example. If you have weed issues today in your soybeans, there's a solution. You got to start with pre-emerge herbicides. We talk about the three pre's all the time. And the reason why we talk about those three specific chemistries is because almost everyone that calls into our show has an issue with either. Water hemp, palmer pigweed, or kochia. Now, you could throw lamb's quarters in and a few other weeds that are a persistent too. But when I look at, okay, if I'm going after those weeds, which we would call small seeded broadleaves, you got to have three effective modes of action pre. Otherwise, in soybeans, you're in big trouble. And we want to make sure that we're not just getting modes of action, we're getting effective modes of action. Well, I can't come up with three better, more effective modes of action pre than using a PPO, either Valor Authority, using Metribuzin, and then using a yellow, trifluralin or Prowl. Then you follow with something early post. And I know it, sometimes these things cost some money, but you have to look at what's the value of the crop today. We've got to protect it. We can't have weeds stealing our yield, especially when we can have these what I call home run years on the farm. We have a good chance to make money. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our AgPHD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, doing a 2022 year in review. Just talking about some of the big things this past year and some of the things uh, that that are coming here for, for the future, too. Things that we're excited about that that moved forward this year. Uh, Got Kyle Patton with us right now with CNB Equipment. Uh, Kyle, thanks for joining us.
4: Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on the show here today.
0: You bet. Well, there's certainly a lot of things uh, when it comes to equipment and technology on the farm that, that have come so far in the last few years. And I, I just think, man, since since Brian and I really started uh full time as adults in this farming world I and mean, we've been involved with it forever, but wow, it it is just amazing the things we can do with equipment now.
4: Yeah, it, uh, it certainly is and uh you know it's pretty crazy that uh what we think we've seen here in the last uh you know, call it 20, 30 years is uh, we're going to see even more wild things here than even in the next 10 years. So um, it is pretty crazy to think about uh, just how far we've come in a a short period of time here with technology and as it relates to equipment and efficiencies, so.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And, and efficiency is a, a big one there. And I, I know Brandon and I talk a lot about just getting started in this and, and our dad used us to do the, as he termed them, $5 an hour jobs at the time. And now, uh, you know, you look at a lot of farm operations, there isn't an overabundance of manpower and doing things as efficiently as we can and, and as economically as we can is really important.
4: Yeah, it is. You know, I think um, what what's one of the big buzzwords for us here right now is just autonomous vehicles, and and we're all that's headed. And you're seeing uh, all the major players and and even new players pop up in that space and looking for modes of autonomy. And and uh, it wasn't that long ago that you know it was really your larger producers needing the most manpower that were asking for a lot of autonomous solutions. But that's branched out now, and we're seeing a lot of different sizes of producers asking for it because labor shortage isn't an issue just um you know it doesn't matter the size of your operation it's an issue regardless you know when you're busy times of year and and i think everybody's seeing that and so we're we're being asked by a lot of our producers regardless of size for more and more autonomous solutions on the farm so it's it's coming at us a an never ever rapid pace.
0: What are some of the, the applications for, for autonomy that are going to come the fastest? I know, obviously, there's there's a lot of things that, that we can do. We aren't quite to the point where we're thinking, yeah, we're just going to sit in the house and uh, be like playing a video game, controlling everything going on on a farm. But when we're out in a field, uh, what are some of the ways that autonomy could be helping us?
4: Well, you know, I think what we're going to start seeing the introductions to start with is is definitely on your um, I'll call it lower, uh, less precise operations out in the field. Um, uh, you know, Deers uh, working on the tillage side of things right now, and and uh, you know, for us, it's a it's a good place for them to start. Um, it, in case there is mistakes, as we're in this learning phase, it's an operation that can be corrected before we go off there with the seed, right? And and so it seems like an applicable place to start, um, but. Uh, you know we not only have the automation piece of it you know we've got the uh the and spray technology that deer's uh, been talking about a lot here and and uh we're looking at a lot of opportunity with that um you know it, you guys were just talking about weed pressures out in the field right and how we can manage that and and uh, there's going to be opportunities with a technology like this to you know have different modes of action on one sprayer uh, which um, uh, will greatly increase the impact of the the chemical being used um, out of the farm and then also just reduce the overall volume that's needed you know so there's um, there's there's an enormous amount of technology coming at us here.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. It, it's it's really interesting when you think about just using products wisely, and a, a lot of non-farmers will ask me about, okay, so you're spraying a field. Do you spray the whole field or do you just spray each individual weed? And, man, it's pretty tough to spray each individual weed with current technology with 120-foot booms and thousands of acres to get over and those types of things. So to be able to have that kind of technology could, could greatly reduce uh, what we're doing and, and help us be more efficient, too, because we, we see – You know weeds out in fields that wow I don't know if I should spray or not are there that many and here would be an easy answer great run across the field and and uh, take care of every weed out there without utilizing or without using so much product yeah
4: exactly exactly so.
0: Yeah, lots of cool stuff coming, and, you know, I, I think uh, at our Ag PhD field day, one of the fun things, uh, crawling around equipment, Kyle, was was just looking at some of this stuff, seeing hands-on, wow, this is really cool, and uh, all, all the different uh, ways that we're gathering data on our equipment now to, to just try and manage things a little closer on the farm. That's, that's fun, too. The challenge, I think, Kyle, is getting to, to understand how to use all this equipment and and getting to the maximum capacity of what we got is is going to be the next step
4: yes yeah, certainly you know and it's um one thing that we've been talking about here you know within cmb is is uh, uh the need to get back to all the training uh, opportunities that we used to do for uh for customers and we're we're slowly coming back out of that you know the don't want to uh, get into the, uh, the COVID side of things, but, you know, all those types of good things for our producers uh, kind of went to a standstill during those times, and, and you're starting to see a lot of those good things come back, um, there, and then there's more than one different training opportunity. You've got hands-on, you've got virtual learning opportunities that are out there, um, you know, your standard clinics that are out there, and, and we're starting to get more targeted, too, with our, with our uh, uh, learning opportunities. Um, the broad base, you know, paintbrush approach doesn't necessarily work the best for everybody, you know, because we've got, it's it's hard to put on a training session for um somebody who might just be getting into the technology some of the you know your your standard documentation and things like that and there's still producers out there doing that and then you got somebody on the leading edge of things and so trying to put on classes for that large of a group is getting to be tougher and so you're starting to see more specialized trainings that are out there and and uh, definitely encourage everybody to be reaching out to their um you know their local dealer and and uh, uh, and resources just to find out what's coming, what's on your agenda, um, you know, and then also letting them know what specifically do you need, you know, some help on, right? Um, another thing that we offer that, that I'm a huge fan of is just pre-season startups and, you know, not just getting your machine in for inspections and, and, uh, running them through the shop, but then also, um, getting with us on a one-on-one basis just to, uh, uh get your machines ready to go. Are they ready to document before you go to the field? Right. And, and we got some producers that are doing that and, and, uh, and wanting us to come out and, and before the, that, that, uh, rush day comes and to get everything ready to go. And, and, uh, that helps for a very successful start and it's a lot. Lot. you know when we aren't pinched and have our entire team out in the field trying to get everybody up and going you've got more time to be relaxed and and really walk through all those little details to make sure that you are getting all those pieces of documentation that you're truly looking for so that you can you can manage your operation the best.
0: Yeah, you definitely got to stay in touch. There's no doubt about it. And you're right. Things are, are really opening back up. And a lot of these opportunities that we had a couple of years ago are going to gonna be in full swing again. Uh, we're talking with Kyle Patton here with C&B. Kyle, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on.
4: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's dive into the mailbag here. We had a follow-up question from yesterday. I don't know. Mark's going to sing us some mailbag music here, I think. Answers. Brian. Derek.
1: We got part of it. Mailbag time. We got part of it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Mailbag. All right. I might have spoke over him there. Uh, Okay. So uh, yesterday, David from South Georgia had some questions about this field. It's on five-acre grids. Uh, He said, I got one follow-up question for you guys. Look at our calcium to magnesium ratios. We've got calcium down in the 30 40 range and we got hydrogen super super high even where i've got a two yeah, ph don't. that's not
1: real those are not real figures so you need somebody else to run the labs that, that's absolutely not real and here let me give you an example 6.4 p soil ph that should mean we've got about eight percent calcium but this test is saying 42 percent calcium that's absolutely wrong uh, it in the way that we do it okay so the way another lab does it fine but then you can't look at any of our recommendations they're all out the window so send it to a different lab that does base saturation the normal way and then you're fine so your calcium and magnesium from the way it looks to me is fine
0: yeah, it's it's interesting. Different labs uh, do things slightly differently, and and oftentimes, if we're looking at a six two six three pH, we're we're definitely not expecting to see the hydrogen percentage that yeah, high. Yeah, and actually,
1: I could try to run some calculations here during the break. Let's let's revisit this question right after the break. I only have three minutes, but hopefully, I will be able to run the calculations. Quick math. Quickly. Quick math. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that is the the thing right now. We want to look back at 2022, see what we learned and take those lessons going forward in 2023. Our phone lines will be open if you want to talk about that or if you have an agronomic question, it's
2: 844-44-AG-PHD. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty,
4: a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com.
3: CNB has a sale for you this holiday season. Save 25% on Real Tractors or Green merchandise now through December 23rd. These products promote sustainability and ag by giving back to local programs, so get some under your Christmas tree. Go to realtractorsorgreen.com and check out with promo code CNB25. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator closing wheels from Farm Shop
2: MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active Ingredient Flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. This is Mike.
2: Hey.
0: He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school.
2: It's only five bucks. How bad can it- Oh!
0: Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it
3: comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargain for. No, 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 no! Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label
1: directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Right before the break, we had a question from David about soil tests and calcium to magnesium. So I said during the break, I'll run the, the math. And I did using the calculations that we have have always done. And I said, well, there's no way it's 42% hydrogen. I'm missing a couple things. Number one, I don't have sodium on here. We need to know how much sodium there is because sodium is an is a big part, well, it's a part of base saturation. So I just took a guess at what the sodium was. But the other thing is, when I run the math, the math actually looks right. But the problem is, if I have 41 or 42% hydrogen, I do not have a 6.4 pH. No possible chance. So something's wrong and that's why I just say, let's run it through a different lab and maybe some, something got messed up. I don't know what it is, but all I know is I don't, I, it, it just, it, stuff doesn't look right. Now, if we got it, so let's say um, the math came out right and we do end up with like an eight hydrogen or whatever, then you know what? We're actually in pretty good shit here. You know what it could be? The cation exchange capacity that they came up with is wrong because if I change that even a little bit, because like here it's six says six point seven, if I changed it to a let's say four point eight, I'm gonna go a little lower. Uh, if I change it to a 4.3 four four point three, I'm just running the math. Okay. If I change it to a 4.3 cation exchange capacity, all of a sudden, everything comes out exactly right. And just what I'm telling you, 8% hydrogen, which it should be at about a 6.4 pH. And then your calcium is 63%, your magnesium is 20%, which is almost exactly what you want in that low cation exchange capacity ground. You want magnesium to be close to 20%. So I don't think there's anything wrong with your calcium magnesium. I really don't
0: all right well thanks for the question david really appreciate that yeah it's tough if if a soil test doesn't give you basically the instructions and the game plan of how can i fix things uh that that's tough to tough to take a look at all right let's get back to uh talking about 2022 and we got tom with us right now farms over in minnesota tom how's it going
5: wonderful wind's not blowing not 20 below zero, more can you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we've, we've had our refresher course on what winter's like, so we're good. Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the bar's set pretty low, though, Tom. It's not 20 below zero, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. And it's not a blizzard, yeah. like you say, when it's not blowing, that helps. Okay, so let's look back at 2022. What was, the, what was this past growing season like, and, and what are a couple lessons you learned from this year's crop? Well,
5: I think... You know we were extremely dry in July, but um corn yields um I guess in our particular area were pretty much normal, nothing excessive in that two hundred bushel area. I think bean yields probably had the biggest swing. We kind of seen where uh where we've seen some early sudden death uh brown stem rot uh those type of diseases come into beans it picked those yields down to the low to mid forties. Uh, where those were managed either by variety or rotation or whatever, we've seen those yields up into the mid-70s. Wow. So disease is a big thing, and and uh, I believe it goes back to variety selection. And and, uh, and that our beans came out of the ground really slow this spring because of the, the cool, cool weather we had. Uh, we primarily are earned the no-till side of it. But uh, uh, we had quite a bit of oats in the neighborhood this year um they were pretty decent uh i'm gonna say 105 to 120 awesome. where their yields were awesome decent decent test test weights had a great market for it and that uh caught the attention of some of the major millers around with this group down here that uh, they're kind of interested in you know expanding that odor acreage <clears throat> you know i mean uh, so we're going to see where this thing goes. I guess we just got to get our thinking hats on and how we can do a lot better job with the small grains. You know, the spiders' fungicide and and seeding and varieties and and fertility. Uh, because it all bases on test weight. That's what they want. That's the, the size of the groat. And uh, well, I delivered some down here to Iowa here in the fall. At, we had a 41-pound test weight on it. And they kind of like those oats.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say so, so.
5: That was so. That was uh, that was kind of an eye opener. You know, I think it, the, the it, big
0: oh. I yeah. was gonna say, Tom. That the cool thing is about agriculture is. Some areas work better for certain crops. Some soils and management practices work better. And like you mentioned, several management practices, because I know we'll get guys that will say, man, I just can't get oats to yield like they used to. And I look at, oh, you're using fungicide. Oh, you're being really fussy about seeding and population and how you're doing that depth and everything, and the variety that you're picking and all these things. It's not so easy as just, well, I just need to pick up uh, generic oats and just throw them in the ground and they're going to yield 100 bushel. It just doesn't work like that.
5: No, no. We've seen that uh, very obvious this year. Um, and uh, you've got a researcher there in South Dakota, a plant breeder there in South Dakota that has come up with a couple of pretty good varieties. And and uh, I don't know where she's going with the next variety she releases, but it, there are varieties that the Miller's, have uh, picked up and indicated that uh, they contain the properties in them, and I'm not 100% sure what those are that they're looking for. Um, I know the outfit that I delivered to down there in Iowa. You know, they make they they run that oats out. I think it goes for granola bars, and it goes for oatmeal, and it goes for oat flour. But the thing that I was impressed about in that facility is the sanitation. You had to go through the HACCP inspection thing as far as cleaning trailers, washing trailers, sealing trailers, <clears throat> before you could ever go into the facility. They wanted You had to fill out a HACCP sheet before they ever take a look at your load and, or unload it. It had to be sealed on the farm. So it gave me a pretty high level of confidence that, uh, you know, our, our food system has, has got some protocol to it and uh, I guess I would have to embrace it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I think it's only going to get more so where it's going to dial right down to what field was it raised, what practices, all these kinds of things. It's uh, I am with you, and we've had some guests on from California that have been growing crops and, and other areas around the, the country working with canning companies and others. The, you're right. There, there definitely are some protocols. There's a reason that the U.S. has the the safest and most abundant food supply, and it's uh, in large part due to the great job farmers are doing, but uh, in, in general, too, the, the processing industry has been been doing a good job. No, nope, we really appreciate that, Tom. That's that's good stuff. I wasn't expecting to hear an oat talk. I was expecting to hear uh, about how you did something different in corn, whether it was disease management there or rootworm management, because I know those things made a big deal. But yeah, you hit us up with two kind of surprises. It's disease management in soybeans. And then just start to finish management in oats, treating that like it's your absolute favorite and most important crop, and you get rewarded for that in a big way. So that that's awesome, Tom. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it.
5: Gard, you have a great day.
0: You bet. You as well. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun twenty twenty-three and I, I just love hearing success stories like that from, from Tom about hey, we did did some extra things here and uh, we we get rewarded for it when we can raise high test weight oats and we can identify okay, what what are the processors looking for? How can we do this? Uh great job, Tom. That's awesome. Okay, Brian, we uh, we talked deep tillage from time to time on the show, and it generally gets a response from folks. Uh, I got a few of them. Uh, One I got from SH who says, you should just let the land rest. Uh, Everything needs to rest. No other explanation. Uh, We got one from David. Wait, 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 wait. wait, I got three of them here, and I'm going to let you comment. Okay. We got one from David. He said, (laughs) uh, soil has been tilled to death, and we've lost a lot of topsoil. Uh, We used to use moldboard plows, but now cover crops can do a lot of the job for us. And then uh, I get one from Dave who says uh, we need to talk about gains in soil health in addition to just gains in production.
1: Yeah, we do. So here at Ag PhD, we've always had three goals and, and what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to help you with. Number one, it's more yield. So that really gets most of the talk. Everybody's thinking yield. Number two is profitability and improving your profitability. And number three is improving your land. It's not good enough to just make more money. It's not good enough to just have more yield. We got to have all three things. And it's also, by the way, not good enough to have improved soil health, but worse yield and worse income. We're not accepting of any of that. We want the best. We want all three things. So we'll talk about that right after this break. You're listening to AgPHD Radio.
3: It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what
1: you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutritia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that
3: naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us.
0: If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com.
3: Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash
1: US Crop. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today, doing a little 2022 year in review. But right now, we're in the middle of the AgPhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com. Or if you'd like, you can give us a call 844 44 agphd. So, right before the break, we had these three comments. One person said, We need to let the ground rest. The next person said, We've been tilling to death, so we got a lot of erosion issues. And the next person said, well, we got to focus on soil health. So I, I, I guess my comment and, and what I had said right before the break is we want you to have more yield, more profit and better soil health. If you just have one or two of those without the third, we believe that's a problem. And that's not. So I, I really hate this word anymore. It's called sustainable. Sustainable. That means different things to different people. And there are a lot of groups that are opposed to agriculture that have taken on this sustainable talk. And let me just tell you what I believe the word sustainable means. It's just like conservation. What it means is we're going to hold steady. I don't believe God put us here on earth to hold steady. I believe we are called in agriculture to make everything we have better. I really do. So that means yield better, profit better, and soil health better. And we can do all those things. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to talk about that stuff with... We're trying to talk about agriculture, agronomy, um, everything we do with all three of those things in mind. So in terms of the tillage side... Let me just say this. In some cases, you have to do tillage. If you've got a rut out in the field, or let's say you had a whole bunch of animals out in the field that dug stuff up, how are you going to fix that without tillage? It doesn't just magically happen. So there are cases where you have to do tillage. On the flip side, there certainly is an advantage if you can have something growing on the ground. And treat that ground gently, let's call it, and reducing tillage. So, I I mean, I'd, I'd put it this way. There are some people that believe we have to do things only one way. So it's never till or even, well, I'll just leave it at that. We don't believe in that. I'm not saying that we believe, oh, All things will be solved by tillage. I'm just saying we have to look at all the tools that are out there, look at what's the best option for each situation, try to make the best of it, because unfortunately we don't farm in a perfect world. We're always Having to work around Mother Nature, it feels like, in agriculture, where it's an untimely rain, an untimely wind. Some bug shows up we weren't counting on, or disease, or anything else. We have to work through all those things. So anyway, um, I do want to say something real quick on this let the ground rest thing, because they talk about that in the Bible once every seven years is what they were required to do. Well, look, that was back then. I don't believe that that's the 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 course the 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 challenge that we are given. I don't believe that's the guideline we are given. I really don't. And I just think about the modern tools that we have now. The crop rotation, the equipment, the genetics that we have, all the crop protection products. I mean, there's so many things that we can do and honestly if i let the ground just sit for a year you know what i have almost all the time i got more weeds i got problems so it's not like that's going to solve everything either and then you don't have income for a year so anyway we can talk about this all day but i just say please understand when you listen to us here at ag phd we've always got soil health in mind but we also have yield and your profitability in mind, too.
0: All right. Uh, I got this one that came in from Robert, and he sent a soil test there. It's field number nine. One soil test. And then he also sent in uh, printouts from the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Which, uh, thanks for that, Robert. Although we can we can look it up too on our phones. It's by the way, it's a free download. If you don't have it, the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. It'll tell you based on yield goals how much fertility your crop will remove. So Robert says I'm gonna, either going to raise 200 bushel corn here or 120 bushel barley this year. At least that'll be my goals. What kind of fertilizer blend would you put on here? Would just a crop removal be good enough, or
1: are there some areas that I should also build? Great question. So the first things that I'm looking at is I see the soil pH at 5.5. Now, that doesn't mean we can't still have a pretty good crop, but I will tell you the data on our farm shows me that if I have a 5.5 pH as opposed to, let's just pick a number out, 6.5 pH Um I have a lot more yield at the 6.5 pH. So the first thing I'm looking at is some lime. Cation exchange capacity here is 11. So it's it's fairly light soil. It's not heavy soil. And the reason why I'm saying that is because the lighter your soil, the less lime it's going to take to correct pH. So you're only going to have to spend a few dollars on a little bit of lime, and you're in pretty good shape. Here's the other thing. When we have light soil, then... You're going to get something like this base saturation K. We talk about that all the time. We want that at least 4% up to 8% as a general statement. But when you have light soil, and this is relatively light, it's not super light, but relatively light, you've only got 214 parts per million there. Tell me again how many. It's, oh, just 200 bushel corn? Yeah, that's right. And I the say top just 200 bushel corn. Even 200 bushel corn, you know how many pounds of K2O potassium that takes out of the soil? 270. 270. It's crazy. And so when I run the math here, I got to convert parts per million to pounds per acre. I take it times two. Then I multiply that times 1.2 to convert over to K2O potassium. So where I'm going with this is we got a little over 500 total pounds of K2O potassium in the soil. Do we honestly believe that we can pull over half of the total K in that soil out in one year with our crop. I don't believe that. I really don't. So I'm gonna make sure I'm at least putting on crop removal and probably just a little bit more to be on the safe side. So those are probably the two biggest things. Beyond that, yeah, phosphorus, and they've got a recommendation here for you for phosphorus too. We're only at twenty six parts per million um, on a bicarbonate test and we're at 41 parts per million on a P1 bray test. Those figures aren't terrible but they also aren't high. So we got to make sure that we're we're getting that addressed. And then we always like to look at micronutrients as well. Can you make it on, here's what you, these soil tests are, by the way, I'll just read it off for our listeners. Boron, 0.4 parts per million. Copper, 0.3 parts per million. Zinc, 3.3 parts per million. And sulfur, 13 parts per million. Is it possible to raise 200 bushel corn? Yes, but... You'd have to get awfully lucky, and so that's why even on your recommendations that I see they have here, they're telling you to put on some boron, some copper, and some sulfur. Now the zinc, in my opinion, your zinc's just a little on the low side. It's not horrible, but it's a little on the low side. Especially if you're bumping phosphorus, you got to bump your zinc at least just a little bit. So I mean, none of those things are anything where you have to spend a fortune on, but I mean, because of your soil test here and what I look at, and it's relatively light ground, you need a little bit of almost everything. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. But do you need like massive amounts? Probably not. Your ground doesn't look too bad. So, I mean, you absolutely, if you get the rainfall, have the potential for 200 bushel corn or whatever you want for barley. Let me make one last comment on barley. It prefers higher soil pH. So we talk about corn. We can raise pretty good corn at 6 pH, 6.2, 6.3, whatever. Barley likes it a little bit higher. And a lot of people with high pH soil like barley because barley will do really well in high pH ground where a lot of other crops won't. So I'm not saying, oh, we've got to get our pH up to 7.5 or anything like that. But the lime is probably just as important, maybe even a little more important for that barley than it is for the corn.
0: All right, thanks for the question. Um, we've got more questions to get to here as we continue on with the Ag PhD Mailbag. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We're, we started by talking about 2022 in review, and we'd certainly take your thoughts about what you learned this year from your farm. But also if you have agronomic questions, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back.
3: This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
2: Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground.
0: How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Welcome back, you're listening to AgPHD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today and we are taking your calls and questions at 844 44 AGPHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Just got an email in from Doug and he said, guys I'm working on getting my drone approvals for the 23 crop. My plan for the drone will be post-emerge soybean and corn applications of fungicides and micronutrients. Are there products that I should not apply with a drone? Uh, for example, corrosive, microelements, surfactants, active ingredients, things that need more volume, volatility issues, et cetera. Well, and Doug
1: uh, is from Illinois. Well, let's put it this way. There have not been a lot of people spraying with a drone so far. But the first thing that I think about is, it, it, one of the things he touched on there, it's products that need more coverage. So in other words... Do we need more volume? Do we have to put on more water? In the past, we've had people spraying, let's call it 10 gallons to the acre of something with a ground rig, and then they ask, well, how can the plane or the helicopter get by with one or two gallons per acre? Yeah, it's labeled. It's approved. How does that work? Well, part of it is because of the push. So in other words... (laughs) If you get, if you think about this, if you get a helicopter flying hundred feet over your field, um, there's a lot of downward push. Same, I mean, not quite to that degree, but, but somewhat similar with a plane. With a drone, how much is that going to push things down? I, I question it. And so when you think about something like Liberty, for example, would I want to spray Liberty with a drone? I'd try it, but If I had a thousand acres to do, would I bank on the fact that if it's the first time I've ever tried it, that it's going to work perfectly? No, I would not. I would at least try it first. Let's see what happens on a few acres. If it works great, we'll do more in the future. But you have to have amazing coverage with Liberty. When you talk about volatility, I don't care what you're using. If you're going to spray dicamba, I, I don't I don't care how you do it, what kind of rig you use, you gotta be unbelievably careful. And I don't know if like the new formulations of Dicamba are even labeled to be applied with a drone. That's the next thing. You gotta look at what's labeled with, in effect, aerial application versus what's not. And it might vary depending on the region, it might vary depending on the crops that you're near, your county, that kind of thing. I don't know. So I'd be nervous about stuff like that, but quite frankly I'm nervous about it. Some of those products just spraying them with the ground rig. The cam is the main thing that I worry about there. In terms of things that are corrosive, adjuvant, stuff like that, you know, I don't know what your what your drone is made out of. I I, I, I don't know enough to tell you there, oh yeah, you got to be really careful with this or that product. I there's nothing I can think of off the top of my head that I'm super worried about with that, but I guess, again, you're kind of just going to have to (laughs) try things out and see. It's like about everything else in farming. Trial and error, try it on a small scale, see how it works, and go from there. But, yeah, there's a lot of interest in the drone or UAV spraying. All right. I'd suggest you have multiple tanks. And if you can, I'd run a fleet of drones because... You're not going to get very far on a tank when you're talking about uh, about a little drone.
0: No, there's still some challenges there, but uh, definitely a lot of work getting put into that that area of agriculture. Hopefully hopefully it's uh, more widely accessible soon. All right. Uh, I had a question come in from Tim up in North Dakota, and he said, guys, from time to time, you talk about vertical tillage. I'm just curious, do you have a specific vertical tillage tool or any vertical tillage general recommendations for spring seedbed prep and for drying out
1: the low ground? Well, the first thing that I'll tell you is a vertical tillage tool is not a miracle machine. Just like anything else in the farm, it's a tool. Does it fit in certain spots? Absolutely. Have guys used it to dry things out? Definitely. Have we used it on our farm? Even in where, let's, I just say the conditions were a little wetter than I would like. But did it still work? Yeah, it worked pretty well. It doesn't seem to create the compaction that we have with a disc or maybe even a field cultivator. So it kind of stirs things around a little bit. It's basically, I would call, real light tillage. Chops some things up and and mixes the dirt around with the residue. So we like a lot of those things. That's all fine. But long-term, when we start looking at what's the long-term solution for these things, when you talk about low wet ground, you got to get some tile out there. And a lot of people say, well, I got all this pushback and it's a lot of work and everything else. Yeah, it was a lot of work for us, too. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's one of the best things we've done for our farm. We were talking earlier in the show about how we want you to have more yield, more profit, and better soil health. You put tile on the ground, you're most likely going to have all three. It has completely completely transformed the low ground on our farm where the soil was I'd call it kind of dead now we have unbelievably healthy soil there and we should it's pretty rich soil and stuff but we didn't have all the good living microbes because it kept they kept getting choked out they didn't have air because there's too much water there so we got to keep the water table down but anyway in terms of the vertical tillage tool, there's there's nothing in particular that I would say where, you know, it's any big watch out or anything else. I, you just have to keep this in mind always, just as a general statement. When you talk about seedbed prep, when we're planting, we want to be able to have great seed-to-soil contact. So you think about what that means Exactly. We want our residue chopped up in tiny little pieces. If it's not, sometimes we hairpin residue and then we land seed on the residue and that's a bad thing. We want to be able to close the furrow. So if it's too wet out there, you can't close the furrow very well. And then we don't have good germination. We don't have a good stand. Uh, we want to be able to have, we, we don't want uh, sidewall compaction or sidewall smearing in that little V-trench. So when we have that, things look pretty ugly with those roots. I don't like how those roots look, and that never leads to top yields. So we've got to be able to try to keep things relatively dry. And again, with the residue, we want it kind of chopped up. So that all bodes fairly well for the use of one of these vertical tillage tools. But again, my long-term thing is always going to be, let's make sure we're fixing the drainage. Look at tile, and then along with that, It's also how much calcium you have in your soil and how much organic matter you have in your soil. The more calcium and the more organic matter you have, the better off you are, typically, for being able to get in there relatively early with good drainage.
0: All right, thanks for the question. I got this one from PD. He said, I had a follow-up question uh, that I didn't get to answer yesterday. He said, I... I am I'm just curious. Have you guys ever thought about doing a special long format show, start to finish, on a specific crop? You kind of already do it each week with what's going on, but I was curious uh, what what your listeners would think about this. What if you did start to finish for corn, start to finish for soybeans, and so on? Maybe it'd take you guys six hours with both of you talking. That's why it. we what do, do
1: our Ag PhD winter workshops. So if you want a full day devoted to wheat a full day devoted to corn, a full day devoted to soybeans, attend our Ag PhD Winter Workshops. And you can live stream them also if you would like. But there's a lot to talk about. And and even then, it's not like we're going to get you every single answer to every question out there. There's so much. But one of the things that we talk about all the time here on the show is, I, I mean... We, we could talk all year long about one crop in particular and probably still not get to every answer. But more than anything, we're trying to get you, get you thinking about things you can do and try on your farm to make your crop better. So sometimes... In ag, Well, quite frankly, in every profession, we get stuck in a little rut. Well, we'll just keep doing the same things that grandpa did, that dad did, that I did last year. We'll just keep doing the same things. We're always trying to throw out new ideas, new concepts. Not that it's going to work for everybody necessarily, but you got to hear about some of these things. And you also want to hear the backstory on, well, why would that work? Why would that not work? And what should I consider trying new on my farm every year? Because obviously I can't try everything. And then the other thing about this is, okay, we can do a show all on, let's just say corn, for example. But you know what? It's going to make a lot of difference. What's your soil type? What's your rainfall? How hot or cold... Are you? In other words, how long's your growing season or how short's your growing season? Uh, what was your previous crop? I, I mean, what's the use of it? Are we going for silage? Are we going for wet corn? Are we going for dry grain corn? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. It, it gets complicated. And that's why we're always going to tell you, if you've got specific questions for your farm, ask us. We'll do everything we can to help you. Well, thank you so much for all the
0: questions today. It's always fun to think about next year and look back at at what successes and failures we had the previous year to learn from them. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.